I've heard some rather disturbing reports about you. Such as? Such as the fact that you're spending so much time with people who are nothing but communists. Nothing but communists? Well, maybe there's nothing but communism for people who aren't afraid to think. Look, Dad, if you want to find out how I stand on anything, just ask me. Don't waste your time by listening to a lot of stupid. Don't know what you're saying, Paul. You don't know what communism really means. No, but I'm learning. And what I'm learning makes more sense to me now than anything I've ever learned before. Your world is dying, Dad. And it's burying itself in the dry rot of imperialism and colonialism. Communism is building a new world right in front of your eyes, and you can't see it. Don't call it a comeback. Call it a call it a take two. You know your uh, your government may be shut down, but we have been designated as essential personnel. I'm of course talking about your new episode of Liquid Flannel. Uh, I am Matthew Hodges, coming out of Arlington, Texas, joined as ever by my my constant compatriot Brendan Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. Brendan, hello. I'm ready to cut through this rusty podcast with an old saw you cannot stop me <laughs> well you you're gonna have some some help there uh, a, a little bit of uh, elbow grease coming from an old friend of the show Nick Glessman hey Gless what's going on everybody we have one of those cartoon saws that's like from <laughs> the, the old logging where you're like, it's like 20 feet long. And you're well, like, they still car. use those. I mean, uh, yeah, when I was when I was out in Montana, you go to the uh, the uh, lumberjack competitions, and they're using those super long ass saws to saw. I, I don't know what. Uh, Are the like, lumberjack uh, competitions exactly how I imagine? Just beefy, burly dudes just cutting down trees. It is the gayest shit in the world. Yeah, um, and and yeah, it, I. I I saw one in Maine, and they are in fact shirtless and throwing axes. And um, my marriage was tested. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I did not mean the gay shit in the world as any kind of of a pejorative. It was actually, you know, they're they're super cool. Um, that that voice that you hear coming on the line is an old friend of our show uh, doing his. I guess I guess we're gonna call this your official hat trick, John Levitt, on our show. Three and a half. Well, we lost an episode, so this is this is going to be his third official uh, appearance on on Liquid Flannel. John Levitt coming coming at us from New York City, New York. Hey, John. Hey, and uh, like all furloughed workers, I too am not accepting any money for this podcast. Yeah. Well, I thought this was your side hustle to to make ends meet. <laughs> uh oh, this is not panning out. I guess. Well, we're talking about furloughed workers. Uh, we we already had this conversation one time, so now everybody's talking <laughs> points ought to be like well distilled down. Um, of course, we're talking about the government shutdown and funding for the wall. The wall. All in all, there's another brick in the wall. No, nobody <laughs> wants to say anything about the wall at this point. Ah, the wall. Yes. What more can be said? Yes. I mean. I, I thought for sure that people like 
you know, Ben Sass, uh, you know, all these Republicans like Mitt Romney, who is just like, you know what, the president, you know, isn't actually that smart. Like, where are they on this on this wall deal? Like, apparently they're still lining up for for the wall because oh, sure. I, I don't I don't see well, them it, saying otherwise. It's kind of like like it's kind of like Brexit in uh in England because like if they say anything negative about it they lose favor with you know their dictator but they would also <laughs> lose face cuz they would be like admitting something was dumb and they're rich so and rich people can't be dumb cuz they're rich <laughs> nor can they ever do bad things That's true so well, and certainly they don't want to they don't want to fall out of favor with the the current regime right so uh, if they can, if they can couch what they say about it, what what has Ben Sass said about the government shutdown? I, Jack I, I imagine shit, nothing. Yeah, I mean it's it's got to be exactly the same shit that he always does, which is like talk about like when I was a teenager uh, in like Model UN, like we never would have done this kind of thing, but. No, I thought for sure. Like I was like Ben Sass. Ben Sass definitely has a, a statement out there. Um, no, he does not. He's not. He's not taking a position on the wall. He's out there bragging about how he got appointed to the Intelligence Committee in the Senate in the new <laughs> session, uh, and he's talking about how he opposes the drawdown of troops in Syria. Uh, and th- those are his uh, talking points. And he's totally staying out of this wall game. <laughs> The best part is he has no reason. He has no idea reason why it's a bad idea to pull the troops out. Man, yeah, no the 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 Syria <laughs> thing has been a really interesting uh, kind of indictment of the institutional wisdom of the the GOP, right? Uh, because Trump's not wrong in the sense that like we we should not have troops and troop funding in Syria. Uh, he's right for all of the wrong reasons but then everybody ended up showing their entire ass like no actually i just like the military industrial complex they're ben's ass (laughs) (laughs) no nobody has ever made that joke before yeah i'm a genius (laughs) but yeah i mean there's so it's it would be so easy for republic i mean for republicans to say look like, I understand that Trump wants a wall. Like, what we really need is, you know, non-wall border security. And that's why I support, you know, this bipartisan legislation to blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you know, to increase, border... increase funding for ICE and give them, like, better vehicles so that they can outrun the apparently, like, Fast and the Furious people who are coming <laughs> over the border. Yeah. They the, just drift their way over. The, uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, what was one of the plots of, I think it was the Fast and Furious 4, where there's underground tunnels that they all drive in. Maybe it's the fifth one. Yeah, remember. that was literally one of the Fastest Furious movies was about the secret tunnels. Uh, Underneath under the, the wall, water. yeah. yeah like well, it's a and, big and government project or something. Also, also literally a plot of... Uh, what, what was that that HBO show about uh, the weeds? weeds yeah, where oh, she, absolutely. Yeah, where she ends up uh, like getting getting into a relationship with this like major uh, Mexican drug lord. And it turns out that like, it doesn't matter what the border security is. There's like extensive underground networks. It's the fucking great escape, except the escape is weed and it's coming like in instead of out. Well, and even Trump would talk about like, 
oh, they take their drugs and they, like, throw them over the wall. It's like, okay, well, like, what 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 wall is going to stop that? We just make the wall taller, obviously. Uh, yeah, and then, you know, we have to make the wall also extend 30 feet underground. You know, that's the real only way <laughs> right. to get it to work. Also, planes are illegal now because it was just, it was too complicated uh, it was it was hurting the wall that planes existed, so no more of those. <laughs> or boats. Oh, yeah, pl- damn it. Planes or boats. Yeah, but uh, Brandon, God, you and so I talked about this. You and I talked about this on a previous episode about how uh, if we're really worried about uh, like undocumented immigration, a lot of that undocumented immigration is people who come over on planes or come over on buses for migrant workers or whatever. That uh, it. it People are arriving legally and then just staying instead of, you know, it's it's not this uh, MS-13 is not like setting up trebuchets at the border to like launch packages of heroin into the country. But wouldn't it be fantastic if they did? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, if, if they're good, if MS-13 wants to set up trebuchets at the border, I just want them to launch something a little bit more destructive than like packages of heroin. Although Or just like or just needy families just <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. the like the Richie Rich like kidapult. Yes. Yeah. They should just start like launching like avocados and like good salsa over the border. <laughs> we're just, up some goodwill. Yeah, we're you just know, gonna, I'm not just a fan of av- avocados, so <laughs> we need to build that wall. <laughs> Keep the avocados. I mean, that is really Trump's plan because, you know, the the wall, e- even if there is like a quote unquote crisis at the border, um, you know, a wall is, is not going to do a damn thing. So he would have to, you know, just shut down the ports. I mean, because that's where all the, the stuff that he's saying that the wall is going to prevent you know, is actually coming through. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's that's where the opioids are coming from, the the fentanyl and um, all of the heroin and stuff. Um, yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. Yeah, all that well, I don't know about Mexican you guys. heroin that they're really, everyone's pining for. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm seriously looking forward to becoming a North Korea-style cult of personality uh, hermit state. Yeah, no, it, that, that'll actually be a... That would be really good for Trump, right? Where everything is completely controlled in terms of what you can say, read, hear, or possibly believe about your supreme leader. Um, You're completely isolated from the rest of the world, which is what a lot of his fans actually seem to want. Um, And yeah, we could just, uh, we could all just like live in holes and never eat. Well, I mean, he doesn't even try to hide that. I mean, he's openly supported, like, I love how they do it over in North Korea. You know, when their leader says, you know, everybody get in the stadium and worship me, like, they do it. People do yeah, it right, right away. They don't complain at all. Like, yeah, how, how it's long a great has, place. How long has he been pining after his, like, giant, like, military parade? Oh, you know? It's so sad. Uh, he, he could have one every weekend if he were apt. If you were actually the supreme dictator of America. But speaking of, you know, the the supreme dictator thing is is pretty amazing because now he wants to apparently declare a state of emergency or he keeps floating this idea. And then they'll find the funding somewhere and just like have the military put the wall up. And 
down here in Texas, uh, you know, it's I, I I've got it. I've got to hand it to him because there's one thing that Texans love. And that's an overreaching federal government who comes in <laughs> and starts to like seize private property for for a thing that they want to do. Um, I I believe we were told to not do something with regard to Texas. Uh, yeah, there, <laughs> I, I think the uh, yeah the thing that that I've got on a t shirt is uh, Texas will roll over and play dead whenever you want. I'm pretty sure that's the that's the saying, right? Texas is 100% yeah. submissive. It's it's so amazing because, like, when Obama was literally not doing anything but just minding his own business and trying to maintain a functioning government in the face of, you know, unprecedented Republican destruction, Republicans were out there making up literal nonsense about, you know, Obama's going to send the troops to Texas. Like, he says it's a military exercise, but really he's planning to come in and invade your farms and take your land and, you know, do his UN coup and take over America. Yeah, that's right. That was the whole the the whole Jade Helm conspiracy was they're going to do these uh, military exercises, but this is really the 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 national or like the international cabal of people who are going to come in and they're going to start putting up um the uh, the FEMA camps to like haul off your grandmothers and uh, like any conservatives are going to be impounded. Uh, and that didn't happen, but nobody here seems to care about that anymore. But even, even just the hint of maybe it would happen was enough to just outrage them, you know, so far to say like, this is why we need to get Obama out of office. You know, he's unqualified. We can't trust him. <laughs> but now that Trump's in office, they're like, actually, <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good idea. Like, maybe we should do that and just go steal a bunch of farmers' land to build a, a symbol of, you know, how much Trump is awesome uh, on, with this ineffectual billion-dollar wasted border. Yeah, wall. right. Uh, one, one of the things that really depresses me is, is watching uh, liberals go like, well, if you build a wall, that's going to impede the – uh, the migratory patterns of various like endangered mammals and stuff like we've got legal processes to you know the the endangered species act will stop him like no 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 it won't <laughs> absolutely will not help at all i mean like uh, reality consensual reality itself refuses to stop him so like i right. don't see why anything else would because <laughs> he lives in his own reality no we're all trapped inside his head we are. We're all. And, we're all living and, at extreme rent prices in Donald Trump's head. Right, and like reality feels like it's melting because his brain is dissolving out his no, ears, it is. and it, it's. And when he dies, we'll all cease to exist. <laughs> no, it's so incredible because the 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 position of Republicans, like this, is the official position of the Republican Party now, is like, hey, we know that walls are stupid, but our crazy president wants one. So we should just pretend that it's a good idea. Because uh, as long as they go along with it, they get all of the other shit that they want. They get to keep their corporate tax cuts. They get to keep their uh, dismantling of anything resembling uh, a social safety net. You know, uh, it, it's a it's it's an appeasement thing uh, from his own party, which is really weird. Usually appeasement comes from like the opposition. Well, yeah, and it's it's the ongoing conservative project to destroy any semblance of the federal government that isn't uh, law enforcement or the military or p 
policing sex. And, um, you know, they're, they seem to be doing it pretty well. I mean, it's not like we have a federal government anymore, as of right now. That's a true statement. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that this is a completely sustainable position where uh, they can just <laughs> continue to force uh, all the government workers and air traffic controllers and uh, the Coast Guard to just work without pay, just indefinitely, uh, and then we'll, you know, everything will just be fine. And right? I'm sure this is, this point's been brought up before, at least in a mutual group chat we had, that they should withhold tax refunds, just piss off every single American show that's if you want to change, take away people's money, then see what happens. Yeah, I don't think you have any. Uh, look, the IRS does their job really efficiently, but I don't think that you have very many ideologues working in the IRS, right? I mean, if you did, oh, then IRS they would do that thing, like make bureaucracy. a make a make a political statement, like we'll withhold this because we're legally not allowed to give people their their tax refunds back because that means. P- you know, we've got workers in the building, uh, but I, I don't I don't think that's a thing to lean on either. Well, and the sad fact is that Republicans are 100 percent willing to just say, yeah, we'll shut the government down. We'll do anything that we can to support Trump and, and do the stupid wall. But Democrats, as soon as there's an opportunity for them to lessen the pain and the impact of the shutdown, they will 1000 percent jump right on it. So when Trump says hey, we should force IRS workers to work without pay so that people don't, you know, have their tax returns delayed. The Democrats will say, yes, let's absolutely do that because we want, like, people to get that money. We think that that's important for them. It's their money. They should get it back. And so their goal is to lessen the pain of the government shutdown, even though that 1,000% benefits Donald Trump and the Republican position. Yeah, it, it totally is. And, you know, you you do have to kind of give them credit for not being accelerationists in that sense. But it's also why so many people are frustrated with the Democratic Party that, I mean, talk about the team that couldn't shoot straight, you know, like take a take a winning position and turn it into a political loss. Uh, that is that is the Democratic leadership right now. And that's why everybody is so frustrated with them. Well, they've they've never they've never had a victory they haven't been able to be defeated from. So, yeah. Well, I, I'm optimistic that uh, you know they they've been doing so much political theater with this shutdown where they just keep having meetings and Trump saying, "Well, give me five billion dollars for nothing," and then they say, "Like, well, we think that's a bad idea," and then he goes, "Like, well, never mind, we're not talking anymore." <laughs> when you know what they really should be doing is like, yeah, you know what, we'll throw five billion dollars at your stupid nonsense you know, in exchange for something we want, right? Like, they were ready, you know, in the first shutdown to give Trump, like, $20 billion in exchange for exchange making for DACA. DACA permanent. Right. You know, would, would you be satisfied if, you know, Democrats came out and said, hey, we gave, you know, Trump his $5 billion, but, you know, we got him to reinstate DACA, or, you know, we got him to do you know, something to, to fund some democratic, you know, project that we, that we wanted. Like, you know, we got him to, but see, I got, I don't even know like what it could be that would Trump would be willing to accept as like a, a democratic concession. Well, like, and, and the know. thing is, Brennan, but they should start I'm not, throwing stuff out there. I'm not satisfied with that. I don't think that 
the the leadership of the opposition party should be doing this appeasement shit. I don't think that they should be negotiating with him at all. I think the longer this government shutdown goes, the worse he looks and the worse the GOP looks. And what the Democrats should be doing instead is passing a bunch of shit through the House that's like uh, like this package that they came up with for uh, voter fairness, you know, like a ban on gerrymandering, automatic voter registration for every single person, uh, reenfranchisement of felons, uh, new oversight for states that have uh, a tradition of like racial gerrymandering and and uh, and voter disenfranchisement. You know, that's what they should be doing instead. Because the longer the the shutdown goes on, the worse he looks, and the longer his Senate won't pass any of this stuff that like everybody wants, the worse the opposite, the worse the GOP looks. That's what they should be doing. But now you you still have Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, and they're going like, well, we could maybe like strike a mealy mouth deal about like some border funding in exchange for it. it. Fuck you guys. I don't know. I think I could see a scenario where Trump is so desperate to get a win that, you know, he could, he could make significant concessions to just say, Hey, I won, you know, I'm going to get my $5 billion for the wall, you know, in exchange for, you know, making DACA permanent and in, enacting, uh, you know, voter registration. Okay, but I'm saying who and, and cares? Like, like who who cares about him walking away feeling like he won? The the party that's hurt the most by him feeling like he's losing is his own party. Why don't they just like tell him the wall was built? He's not gonna go check. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, just Photoshop a wall over right. like a like a bad portion now, of Texas. See, it, it doesn't work. I've seen this this floated around a little bit, but the thing is, he would want to go down and do, like, a million photo shoots. Oh, okay, yeah. so then build a fake wall for him to stand there. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's what's going to happen. Like, if he does win the shutdown, which it, it's entirely possible that, uh, like I said, that the end of the shutdown involves him making some concession on some Democratic thing and them giving him the $5 billion to build his photo op wall, which is all it will be, right? The, the wall, we know the wall is not going to do anything. They're going to build some stupid wall. He's going to say, look, I built the wall. Aren't I so great? You know, no one, everyone said it couldn't be done, but I did it. I built a stupid wall for wasted a bunch of money and then built a wall in the middle of nowhere. And look how great I am. Like, I could totally see that outcome happening. And you know what? I really don't give a shit. Like, (laughs) if that happens, like, what the fuck ever? Like, we all know that that is just it's a photo op. It's it's fucking worthless. It's it's a worthless photo op that didn't do jack shit other than make Trump happy. And if you can actually get that and you can use that to get something that's substantive changed, you know, whatever. Like it's stupid. Okay, so, it shouldn't have to be done, but so take it's better Glass's than what we're at idea, now, which is fucking nothing. So take Glass's idea and just build it in fucking Orlando or something. Like, fly him down there. You know that that guy doesn't look out the plane window when he flies. You know, he, he would have no idea where he was. Just land him in Orlando. There's a big piece of wall. He gets to, you know, wear his trucker hat or whatever, and everybody goes home happy. Yeah, it's... 
It's not like he knows where he is now. So. <laughs> the Democrats should make a secret deal where it's like, look, we'll give him the $5 billion for a wall, but our condition is that uh, we tell Trump that we're going to go take him to see the wall, and what we do is we really like put him into a Truman Show bunker, and he's not the president <laughs> anymore, but we could just live stream it 24-7, and it's going to be fucking hilarious. Like, that's a win-win right there. Well, we no, because the problem like he's is president Mike for, uh, forever. Mike Pence is going to be uh, the one in charge. Of oh, this. don't bring reality into this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry well, to be the downer. All right. The, the, the political situation is an absolute mess. We talk about it all the time. We did, however, bring John on to talk about uh, possibly why we got here. So let's take a little break. Uh, John, I'd like to talk about the article that you just had published. Uh, yeah, excellent. I'd love to um, talk about it. It was actually started, like most good things, as a Twitter joke. <laughs> <laughs> the genesis of all of our uh, national you know, policy and conversation now. Talk about living in right, Trump's head, right? Yeah. <laughs> So I have always been a proponent of the idea that decades do not start and end on the actual date. Everybody knows that the 90s truly ended on 9-11. Yeah, no, that's true. And, you know, not really on, yeah. you know, at the end of the 90s. The new millennium certainly didn't start before uh, 9-11, right? I mean, we were almost a year and a half into it before people felt like, oh, this is a new age now. Yeah, and, like, if you look at, like, 90, 91, like, those were even more 80s than than really 90s. Like, 92, like, the rise of grunge, like, that's where I see... Uh, know, the 90s truly started. I would say the 90s truly started with the collapse of the USSR. <laughs> no, what it was a what year was that? 91. Was okay. that 91? I thought it was The, the Berlin was Wall fell in 89. Yeah. So, so the rise of Nirvana and the fall of the USSR. Yeah, that yeah, makes it was sense. Somewhere in there. Another thing we can blame on Gen X. <laughs> Thanks, Gen X. So, John, you recently took this amazing idea... And spun it into uh, a, a wonderfully depressing article uh, about <laughs> delightfully <laughs> when depressing. the true 21st century began in the fateful year of 2014. I picked 2014 because I noticed a lot of people were saying that's when online spaces didn't just become hostile, but they became hostile in a very organized fashion. This is the... 21st century online specifically, like the the online uh, political commentary. But you say that those things, you can't draw the distinction anymore past that point. I wanted to make the distinction that like, it's not that these things started in 2014. Like there's always been online harassment. There's always been uh, jerks and assholes online. Um, there's always been like weird, distressing shit online. But 2014 is when it became mainstream and when it started entering like actual political processes. 
Like you weren't just like one-off scamming people here and there. You were working on a national level. And it's become the sort of mainstream like form of rat fucking that a modern political party uses as opposed to, you know, stealing the med- their medical scripts from their doctors to prove that they're on like antidepressant therapy or something. So to make sure that everybody's on the same page, John had an article published in the Houston Chronicle um, where where you talk about, yeah, uh, congratulations, by the way. It's a generally a really good publication. And the thing that you point to in 2014 that happened is the, the Gamergate phenomenon. Oh, yeah. And I think that deserves a little bit of unpacking because it's, maybe not intuitive for people to trace a thing that was ostensibly about uh, ethics in gaming journalism to the rise of Trumpism, the rise of white nationalism in the United States, the rise of the the nascent left in the United States. I assume the audience of this podcast is extremely online. If you were not, uh, what happened in 2014 was something called Gamergate, and it was basically some guy got upset at his ex-girlfriend for publishing a review of a video game he didn't like. I think he was mad at her for uh, possibly cheating on him. But yeah, he made it into a thing about how there was this big uh, this big problem with um, like glad handing and uh, quid pro quo among games journalists, people who wrote about video games like favorably reviewing other people who maybe they'd slept with or they were friends with, or maybe they all just agreed on the same S Jew stuff, the like social justice and feminism or whatever. Oh, are you saying S Jew now? I don't like that at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, it's the same thing. I think as we're going to find out. Yeah. I remember when this first started breaking out and I, it is, you know, in retrospect, a significant turning point in internet culture. Like it, it, in so many ways is a dividing line. And, you know, your line in the article where you talk about back before 2014, I noticed there was a lot of smug, young, you know, online white guys who were like hardcore, like new atheists saying, all you people out there are normies and like, you need to wake up sheeple and, you know, there is no God and all that. Uh, and I was like, this is cool. They're, they're huge fans of like uh, like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and all those other douchebags. Some of these like cool science guys, like uh, I think that's where Neil deGrasse Tyson really took off was among that same that same set. They all love Elon Musk now for exactly the same reason. And, you know, I thought naively that this was a herald of a new liberal age where you know, the enlightened among us would look to facts and reason <laughs> and logic to bring about an era where, you know, I thought this was a response to a movement against the right wing, against the, you know, culturally conservative religious right. But yet it just went, took a real sharp turn there. The enlightenment went dark. Then they all got their calipers out. Isn't that right, John? What I try to track in the article is that you have this development of this sort of um, this new atheism, new skepticism movement. And there are people who are getting really into it on YouTube and in various like 4chan and uh, 8chans. And they sort of around 2014, they start changing their tune. They start 
arguing about women a lot. And this is around the time the pickup mo- pickup artist movement really starts picking up and the game is released and suddenly you have a lot of angry, frustrated young men whose primary audience is each other all sort of coordinating their ideology and their, you know, attacks against what they believe to be a slight against their availability. Their existence. The way that they literally fucking cry online about mugs that say male tears on them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, the yeah. irony. And, you know, it's like disaffected young men are the the core of most fascist movements. And I don't think it was as obvious at the time as it is in retrospect, but you had a lot of white nationalist and just neo-Nazi organizations doing a lot of recruiting on the chance. Oh, it was perfect. For well, sure. There, there's a document that got passed around by uh, Stormfront, right? That was like, here's how you do it. If you're trying to radicalize people into white supremacy, Go on your, go on Reddit, go on, I don't even remember what everyone was using back then, fucking FARC or whatever. Dig. Something awful, something awful, awesome. Yeah, something awful. Go on there, like, don't say that it's, it's the Jews. Say that it's the global elite, you know, like, start to turn them against, uh, it's a Mott and Bailey argument, right, where the Mott is this pretty hard to defend super white nationalist thing but the bailey is speaking to people's actual material disaffectation yeah i mean like it's important to remember like both the right and the left uh, have a feeling that something has gone terribly wrong in modern society it's just the right's answer to it is you know genocide it's it's white genocide it's it's women it's the rise of feminism and uh the evils of the the liberal education um, there was a, a great article recently about uh, Charlie Kirk's new book, the guy in charge of uh, Turning Point USA. Old tiny face. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> his, his face is a little bit smaller every time you see it. It's really it's like a Twilight Zone thing. Um, but his book is just it's just that it's just uh, like conservative grievance stuff. There's no data. There are no real arguments. It's this emotionally. Uh, an identity-based appeal to, like, you're feeling disenfranchised. This is why. It's probably because of, in Turning Point USA's case, it's, uh, like, liberal education and gender studies majors. But it goes way beyond that to the Donald subreddit, where it, they, they're literally celebrating Trump as, like, some sort of super genius god emperor and QAnon and all of these things. Well, QAnon's interesting because it skews a lot older. Um, I think the the phenomenon uh, I was talking about in 2014 was very much a youth movement, which is very troubling because it means these hooks got into people really early. So many people have their identity tied up in gamerdom, and it, it was really saddening to see, you know, like, as a person who plays video games, considers themselves, you know, plugged into, like, the, quote, like, gamer, you know, discussion, the the internet sphere. Yeah, before it became a pejorative, I would have considered you a gamer. It was was so shocking to me to see how quickly it turned, and and it went from being able to say, you know what, I think you're right. I think there is, you know, a massive conspiracy within the gaming world to force 
video games to adopt progressive values. Like, people, you know, valued that video games were, like, edgy, that they were violent, that they were anti-censorship, you know, things like that. People are always talking about... There was this guy... um, who was like a joke online because he was always trying to get video games banned. Um, and ironically, he... Oh, Jack Thompson. Yeah, yeah. A Florida, Florida attorney now disbarred for <laughs> bringing up all of these ridiculous lawsuits against like the video gaming industry. You know, hilariously, one of his allies in this fight against violent video games was Hillary Clinton, um, you know, who was out there with her kind of like, you know, save the children type of approach. Sure. Where she was saying, like, you know, you're right, like, children shouldn't be exposed to these, you know, to these violent video games. It's easy for that audience to instinctively say, oh, look at this, look what's happening. Like, they're trying to say that we're terrible people just because we love Grand Theft Auto and they just don't understand us, you know. And instead of using that as an opportunity for self-reflection and trying to figure out you know, hey, why do I like these games? You know, why why is it that, you know, this is so celebrated? Is there an issue here? Instead, they just doubled down and said, you know what? The real enemy is feminism and is <laughs> right. trying to force minorities. And like, now my games have to have black people in them. Like, who wants black people in their games? Like, this is outrageous. I'm not black. I, I couldn't care less. You know, and all this right. ridiculous stuff started coming up. And it was shocking to me, to be honest. You've seen the same thing evolve into uh, like Comics Gate. Uh, there was that attempted takeover of the science fiction like awards community yep, yep. Uh, for like the the sad puppies or the right. rabid puppies. And, or- yeah, and it follows the same script each time. And with each script, it just intensifies more uh, further, which like it indicates that this is to some extent top down. But I think a larger extent is just people getting um, indoctrinated into it in online spaces and then spreading it around. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly it spread, too, because in 2014, it was still a relatively unknown thing, but by 2018, it was just dominated. It's how politics works now. Yeah, by 2018, Trump was president. I think it's not an understatement to say that the movement that started as Gamergate and coalesced around this you know, we need to band together and fight back against the social justice warriors who are trying to, you know, force their ideology down our throat. It was easy to translate into, and now we need to support Donald Trump because he's the one that's going to be out there fighting for underserved white men out there in the world. You know, he's the one that we need to all glom behind. And he's against, you know, a video game, noted video game hater, Hillary Clinton. You know, what could be more simple of a choice and now it's almost like it's so mainstream like the most popular like video game streamer this dude ninja who plays freaking fortnite and stuff just went out and said like you know what i never am going to like have a woman on my streams because you know people just make up rumors and stuff about it so it's just not worth the drama so i'm just never going to do it and everyone just said, like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. Like, that's a smart decision there. Uh, we're still yeah, going to give right. you we're millions there, of dollars in sponsorships. 
well well for some reason yeah all of a sudden like gamers are are men going their own way or at least following the pence rule we're like <laughs> i'm never gonna interact with a woman unless my fucking wife is there or they're like twitch streamers who have like millions of viewers and you can't stop saying slurs those are hey, called heated gaming, heated gaming moments. moments. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah, they're they're called gamer words now. I think <laughs> to say nothing of of the words like actively promoting other channels who are like outspoken white supremacists or anti-Zionist conspiracy theorists right. or whatever. And because this is all tied up in the in the kind of video game you know blogosphere, you mentioned YouTube, and and that is really where. They've weaponized the YouTube suggestion algorithm by glomming together video game content with, you know, hardcore right wing alt right Trumpism so that when kids go on to YouTube and look for videos of Fortnite, YouTube is like, oh, I know what you're into. Like, maybe after you're done watching these Fortnite highlight reels, you know, you want to watch this guy talk about how feminism is cancer. Uh, and QAnon, uh, and they just say like, "Oh, well, this is very interesting." Like I, I, you know, I hadn't thought about this this way before. And this is literally being, you know, served up by YouTube to literal children, and it's yep. horrifying. Uh, I mean, who can even remember two years ago? But who were like, <laughs> who were the most terrifying people at the Republican National Convention? It wasn't necessarily the standard Republicans. It was the sort of dispatches from the various like alt-right and white nationalist and neo-Nazi groups who felt that they could now work openly in politics because, well, we may not think tr- think that Trump is a great guy, but he's our best bet for getting our agenda f- through. They're also the kings of the uh, center. Like when people say, you know, both sides are bad or whatever, the neo-Nazis played directly in this. When Richard Spencer get, uh, got punched, everyone's like, oh my God, look, look how violent the left is. You know, over here on the right, you know, we're seeing rational, we're just debating, you know, we, you gotta sit down, we gotta talk this out, like, and they just, they, they prey on that. It's what Yeah, absolutely. Them. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same thing with, uh, you know, like, look at, uh, okay, yeah, maybe some people got mowed down with a car in Charlottesville, but also, like, Antifa, like, broke a Starbucks window one time. So, who's to say? Who's to say is actually bad? I mean, mowing down people and breaking windows are pretty much the same on the justice scale. Well, John, I have, I have a couple of mm-hmm. questions uh, as as we're starting to wrap up this segment. The first one is, uh, I, I know you are at least as online as I am, and you've Unfortunately, seen the, yes, <laughs> yes, and you've seen the dispute between uh, some people on the left about uh, like identity politics or id Paul. Uh, versus like a class analysis. Do you want my uh, actual unvarnished opinion? <laughs> always. No, please gussy yeah. it up. Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> I think uh, anti-identity politics discussions are being weaponized in the same way now uh, by the right. Okay. Absolutely. And, you know, like there are certain Reddit forums, which I am convinced are trying to poach young men who are like maybe thinking about leftism and trying to poach them into more like red brown alliance uh national bolshevism stuff like the nazis are definitely aware they need to change their messaging and i think that's how they're doing it the left kind of has this this deal with like class versus identity politics 
whereas the right has weaponized both of those things, right? Uh, Anti-identity politics to a certain extent, but also explicit identity politics in all of the sorts of ways that you wrote about. Yeah, like um, what's more identity politics than wanting a white ethno state? What's more identity politics than not wanting black people in your fucking video games? Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I really think we need to be on top of that because I can definitely see that's how like the old tactics aren't working anymore and basically everyone like who could have been recruited I think has been or they've fallen out of the movement. So they need to – now they're trying to poach us or people kind of sympathetic to our cause. Do you think that Gamergate is still a, a powerful and, and growing movement or is it a movement that's kind of on the decline? Like maybe I, it's I, just the optimist I think me, it's just be, I think it's just become the alt-right. It's, yeah. just, it's evolved into to whatever hellscape we're living in right now. Yeah, but I guess to me, it just it just seems like it's already peaked and well, that like, it's but, it's on the way out. But maybe I'm just naive. Gamergate themselves have peaked, but that that whole group of people immediately moved over to Trump supporters. They're they're the Donald subscribers. They're still on fucking 4chan, um, mm-hmm. like doxing. Any journalists they don't like, but particularly women, people of color. I was expecting some uh, blowback from uh, those types of people, like after posting it. And I got a little bit, like, you know, in my mentions on Twitter, but a female colleague of mine uh, posted it and she got swarmed by oh, them. Yeah, that's, you know right. what? You're right there. Like, that's where I forgot that my, my white privilege has shielded me. From the actual impact of these well, fucking monsters, well, yeah, it, because they're not attacking me as a white man. They're not coming after me if I say like I think Gamergate is dumb. They're like I could care less. But, the worst thing they're gonna do is say you're a cuck or whatever. Right, but if but if a woman or a person of color deigns to say Gamergate is dumb, you know they're literally getting death threats or they're getting like swatted. You know, which you mentioned in your article, which is you know, this horrific practice of you know fake calling in you know, like 911 emergencies where people have literally been fucking murdered by the police, you know, due to... Yeah, like these these online weirdos, like that's what I, I say in the article is that like 2014 was the last year when like you could just say, well, that's just online. It's not the real life because now there is no difference between online and the real life. There's no difference between forum politics and real politics anymore. Uh, everything is one in the same. And, you know, they have a body count. People have been murdered over this. The last thing that I wanted to talk to you about, your article does not suggest any way forward. And I was hoping that maybe we could we could pick through that a little bit. Like, what do you think? I think that you're right. I think the article is completely right. We will be linking it in the show description. Uh, Audience, please go and read it. Uh, This conversation will be just so much better for it because John is a great writer. But I want to I want to pick through like what do you think is the way forward, assuming that you're right about all of these things, which I do. Well, uh, there's a bunch of things. Um, the article got discussed on Metafilter. Uh, full disclosure, I'm a member, and uh, people had a, like a few interesting observations. My favorite being someone said, "Thank you, this ruined my day," which is always a great reaction <laughs> to get to your writing. And that was your intended uh, reaction, right? Yeah, I, mean, I, I want to depress you. Um, I mean, it's dire. You're you're 100% right, but it is not an uplifting tale. Right. And some people were talking about like, well, 2014 is also when a lot of like committed, possibly government level harassment campaigns started. 
like they're not exactly sure like when certain botnets started to appear, but it's around 2014. Right. And, you know, it's like there are some shades of, you know, hashtag Russiagate in that. But I think, you know, making social media a deliberate priority, like Cambridge Analytica was definitely starting to do that in 2014. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, how easy is it for Russians to post a GIF of some video game and be like, you know, take this SJWs and, you know, get a thousand retweets? Like, it's so easy for them to do. Or just like your average person, like, pay $7,000 so a bunch of, you know, Ukrainian teenagers can go harass someone you don't like. Is there anything to the idea that uh, the left needs to be also embracing uh, like explicit materialist messaging? I mean, that's that's the that's the core of why Gamergate succeeded. Why any of these other alt right things? You do have disenfranchised people. Yeah, I mean, people are upset, and as I mentioned before, like both the right and the left share an acknowledgement that something has like gone terribly wrong with society. And the right has gotten a head start at providing solutions to that. Like the solutions they provide are monstrous and inhumane. But the left isn't as good at like describing ways out of like this horror show we live in. And I think like that's maybe the way forward. And that will be through material analysis. That'll be through, um, you know, the big problem of modern liberalism is that it doesn't actually identify who the enemy is. And we actually have to start identifying the enemy, which is, you know, the hoarders of capital and the owners of the means of production. What if we can get them to turn on, like, the millionaire CEO of GameStop as (laughs) the true enemy? Um, I think there's an in there. We can get out there and say, GameStop is overcharging you for used games. They're ripping you off here and they're making millions on it. We need to we need to tax the rich at 70 (laughs) percent. And, you know, we need to mandate, you know, federal guidelines about trading value. I I think it it could be done. Well, careful, Brent. I think I think you're going to turn all the gamers into strasserites, and I'm not sure that's the thing that we want. I was just going to say, I mean, why deal with that? Why can't you just go online and download it for free? It oh, yeah, affect, like the it doesn't like, affect uh, me. The like Norwegian Pirate Party, yeah. you know, bringing it back around. It's like horseshoe sure, theory. Yeah. Real anarchist hours up in here. I I really hate saying this, but I still think it's 100 percent true. I mean, white people rule America. That's just the way it is, at least in this current day and age, and it's, it's sickening. I feel like white you have to cater to white people. There's no easy way to say this without sounding like just like a fucking typical dumbass white person, but, like, <laughs> white people are, are in effect what changes the country, even with civil unrest and protests for minorities. So what you're saying is we have to trick white people. Yeah, yes, yes. Trick white people. That's that's much, much better. Well, I don't think you have to trick them. I, I think you just have we have to do a better job of explaining that feminism and equality and racial justice are not actually attacks on white people like. Yeah, that's not taking away from you. That's not the thing that's taking away from you. Yeah. I, I think we have to do a better job. And, and Trump has done an amazing job of, of turning American politics you know, and, and taking it from, like, yeah, there was racial inequality, everyone agrees it's bad, to totally flipping that and saying, like, yes, there's racial inequality, and I love it, and yeah. it benefits white people, so, like, I'm all in on yeah. it. Yeah, it's uh, got, everything's I, gone lizard brain. Right. So I, I think there is still an opportunity where, you know, the message of of leftism and progressivism is that 
you know, a society that benefits everyone also benefits white people and it benefits white people even more because they're already doing better, right? So universal basic income, like think of the message to gamers, right? Be like, man, the PS4 Pro is so expensive. What if the government gave you $1,000 every year that you could use on whatever you wanted? Those messages are universal. I think it's possible, but it is definitely challenging. But we have to identify the the right target for it, uh, which I think is is John's point. Yeah. If the next Democratic candidate runs on, I will release Half-Life 3, this could work. (laughs) (laughs) We can talk about like socialism and communism all you want, but let's not talk about impossible things. (laughs) <laughs> well, hey, the the, uh, the voice of Alex Vance went to our high school. We know her, Merle Dandridge. So <laughs> sure. we have it in. I think we can make this happen. Let's take a break right there. Uh, take it out on a high note, I think. Uh, that was reasonably hopeful, but there's probably some good news, too. Adam, the man they call Adam. He robbed from the journalist and he gave to the gamer Stood up to Zoe Quinn when we threatened to rape her Our love for him now ain't hard to explain The hero of Gamergate, the man they call Adam So, uh, it's been a real roller coaster of, of an episode uh, But we have to bring it out It's always a, it's always a roller coaster On a high note And, uh, you know, for my high note I also wanted to make sure that we did touch on some Midwest news. Uh, we we kind of touched on the wall. That's strangely a Midwest news now. But uh, <laughs> uh, today, well, Ben 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 showed showed his whole sass on on the on the wall <laughs> issue. So today was the uh, first day of uh, the real session of the new Nebraska unicameral legislature. And uh, Nebraska, it's a, it's a unique system of government, state government in many ways. You might even say snowflake. <laughs> it's, a real, <laughs> it's a real snowflakey government. No, that's not true at all. Um, but one of the amazing things that we do here in Nebraska is that we say, hey, at the beginning of every legislative session, uh, the first two weeks are you have to introduce your bills and then they spend the rest of the year session debating those bills that got introduced in the, in the first two weeks. Um, so on day one, they introduced 138 new proposed bills. Sweet. Um, so let me just give you a rundown of <laughs> some of the highlights. So uh, as he does every year on the first day of every legislative session, again, Beloved Senator, Omaha Senator Ernie Chambers, uh, has introduced legislation to repeal the death penalty. Um, he has also introduced legislation to repeal the, uh, the hunting of mountain lions, which I guess is legal uh, in Nebraska, which, which is pretty messed up. Um, huh. But uh, yeah, we'll see where this goes. Probably nowhere, but it did pass once before. So you know why not? Why not keep trying Let's it? Let's hope it passes er, again. Ernie, I, I'll I'll say again. Ernie Chambers, go on liquid flannel. <laughs> uh, you know, and a, in a new proposed legislation, unlike death penalty that Ernie Chambers has been proposing literally for the last like forty years, um, they are now proposing legalization of medical cannabis that we've been kind of been following. 
Uh, and on the heels of Florida's new voting rights legislation, uh, uh, a senator has introduced a bill to restore voting rights to felons uh, for Nebraska as well. That's oddly progressive for Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, and then my personal favorite, uh, Senator Steve Erdman of Bayard, Nebraska, which I legit haven't even heard of. I don't even know yeah, where the, the hell fuck that is. is. Bayard? It's in the middle of nowhere. And yeah. uh, you could tell by this guy's proposal, which is to mandate by law that all Nebraska public schools prominently display In God We Trust in every single classroom <laughs> and to legally require the Nebraska Attorney General to defend the school district's right to post this in Shit, every classroom. Western Nebraska by Scott's Bluff. That's that's almost that's almost a troll proposal. I mean, talk about things that would waste the state's resources. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? No, this is one hundred percent a fucking Western Nebraska proposal. Like, man, we need to get God back in the schools so these kids stop dying. It's literally the full legalization of thoughts and prayers. Um, it's it's really going to solve a lot of problems. It'll stop I school love, shootings love- at least. I love strict constitutionalists who don't know what the fuck the First Amendment actually says. <laughs> so yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a fun legislative session. Uh, you know, uh, like like many places in America, the Nebraska legislature has gotten more polarized. You know, the progressives are getting more progressive, and the conservatives are reverting to paleo conservatism. <laughs> It's like that episode of Star Trek where they all de-evolve into spider monsters. <laughs> right. I mean, where where else are they supposed to go, though? I mean, they can't start – I mean, unless they start adopting, like, leftist economic proposals, all they can do is just kind of hunker down into what they've done before, just more and more extreme. Well, before I thought they were all going to go to Kansas, but now, you know, Kansas, you know – has has horseshoe theoried so far. They have a Democratic governor. That's right, yeah. K- Kansas is a, a, a new uh, progressive bastion. So yeah, they're not going anywhere. They're, they're here to stay. Uh, they're, 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 they're doubling down. Uh, and yes, so speaking of, uh, you know, one other fun fact is that uh, there was this hilarious controversy where uh, the Nebraska... Book One Association that promotes Nebraska literature uh, nominated this book called This Blessed Earth, A Gear in the Life of an American Family Farm by Ted Genoways, uh, where it is a nonfiction book that follows the struggles of a Nebraska family farm, uh, you know, in the mid 2000, you know, teens to their struggles to stay afloat amidst uh, you know, pipeline battles with the Keystone XL <laughs> uh, amid, you know, uh, further, trade war. Right. The, the the trade war, the tariffs, the, you know, uh, increasing, um, you know, monopoly situation with Monsanto, you know, taking over yeah, family extreme, farms and stuff. Extreme, extreme weather because of climate change. Right. So literally, you know, a book telling the story of Nebraska farmers by Nebraska farmers uh, you know, and is uh, a widely recognized book. It came out uh, a couple years ago, 
uh, and now is nominated for this award. And there was a pro forma thing where every time they had nominate one of these Nebraska books for the award, the governor would sign a proclamation saying like, hey, it's Nebraska book of the year. Like everybody, you know, support Nebraska. But he was like, nope. Not this time. I yeah, Pete Ricketts is like he was. He was mean to Trump on Twitter a couple of times. Right. So he literally says, "This is a book that was written by a political activist." Nebraska Governor Pete Record Pete Ricketts said, "He's out of touch, and this is not a book that's going to unite Nebraska." Um, <laughs> so uh, he refused to uh, do his pro forma endorsement of you know, the Nebraska Book Society's uh, book nomination. So, you know, Nebraska's really going places this year. Uh, it's it's really on the up and up. So get it's your a great shake state. in now for a it's, it's the good life. The good life. Hey, it's not Nebraska. for everybody, Matt. <laughs> well, I, I think those kind of count as high notes. Uh, John, you had, you had a thing to take yes. us out. I have Highly. I have multiple things actually now that I thought about it. Uh, one is the Twitter account AOC dances to, and then it just like ran. It puts any song over it, and I only said I would retweet one of them, and the one I uh, decided on was Pulp's "Common People." <laughs> it just I, it I, fit. I, it fits so well. I, they all I, do. I I have not seen one that hasn't fit. It's it's incredible. Yeah, well, it it fits in like form and content. And um, the other neat thing, high point, I guess, because we were talking about – you were talking about state legislature is that the New York state legislature opened uh, for the first – for the year with its first Democratic major- supermajority in over a decade. And they were immediately like, great, so we're going to go fix the fact that our state has the worst voting laws in the nation. <laughs> and uh, on the heels of that, our – Mayor, our absentee mayor of New York City has said he wants to do some sort of like universal coverage plan for the city. And it would be like regardless of immigration status or employment. So, Oh, yeah. I saw that. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, like knowing him, it's not going to work because like the last time he tried a project this big, it was universal pre-K, which is the only reason I voted for him. That and he's tall. That doesn't seem that hard to do. Come on. Right. So like they, they found they couldn't like get the money or the projects to, like to figure it out, partially because the state Senate was then uh, led by Republicans because that's what our governor wanted. So he could claim that was the reason he wasn't passing any progressive legislation. So they just like lowered the standards for what a preschool is. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's not great. It, it's like like the free college plan our governor tried to do, which it turns out no one can qualify for. Oh, amazing. Yeah, anyway. you know, I, I'm usually not a proponent of um, of like tricking people into legislation, but there is a, an amazing <laughs> story of how one state senator in Oklahoma was able to get Oklahoma to enact universal pre-K by basically writing the text of the law so that no one would notice until it was too late. Um, <laughs> and it was a success and it, and it did really well and it helped a lot of people. So, you know, I, I really don't like that that has to be done, but sometimes, sometimes you do what you got to do out there. Well, like I, I kind of feel like it's like the CIA underwriting abstract expressionism. Sometimes there's someone who's just like ambitious and knows if you say the right magic words, you can get funding for anything. You bet. 
Well, yeah, I, I hope that, uh, you know, Democrats seem to have woken up to the fact that state legislatures matter. And in, in a lot of ways, they actually matter more than the federal government. Because What's they can a federal government? Thing, uh, <laughs> uh, unlike certain federal governments, uh, state governments actually still function and, you know, pass laws that impact people's lives. Uh, so uh, I'm very optimistic that the the Democratic Party has realized this uh, and that, you know, progressives are starting to work from within to get them to actually do some shit uh, instead of just saying like, well, hopefully Obama will do some stuff that, and that we can just say like, yay. It's totally fine and normal to lose 60 seats. <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to keep it on the, on the positive. Here. Right, right. On the positive. On the positive. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, before it goes too deep, then um, let's let's wrap up this episode. Uh, John Levitt, uh, congratulations on your. I think we're going to call this your your official liquid flannel hat trick uh, coming on three times. Um, it's it's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. So for we having got you this hat again. to celebrate. Please wear it with pride. You're you're a hat guy. Come on. No, I I can't wear hat, a hat. Right? I've got a giant like Scottish melon. Well, you need to wear a. Uh, what's good for a guy with a with a big head? It's uh, a it's a, a Scottish melon that we carved into a helmet shape like that <laughs> mean cap. Swear to cowboy hat. It's like, yeah, it's like the so Scots don't and... carve melons. You dipshits. It's uh, <laughs> they 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 carve uh, like turnips or something like that. It's like it's like that line, and so I married an axe murderer. It's just a pumpkin on a toothpick. <laughs> you would, I think, I I honestly, unironically think that you would look really good in a bowler hat. Just consider it. I I would, except bowler cat hats are now like this weird right wing English thing. No. Oh no. Oh, oh man. They ruined everything. Yeah, like they the use fucking... it. They they use it as like like national costume. It's like really weird. It's like they were oh, upset God. that they didn't have kilts. Is that like a, a clockwork orange thing or something? Why does, it, why does the far right get uh, complete control over fashion? Um, we, need to, we need to take that back. I blame Hugo Boss. <laughs> it, started, it started almost a century ago. Yeah. So yeah, who's, who's going right. to be the first to grow a to, uh, uh, toothbrush mouth uh, mustache? <laughs> bring it back I don't know that we're ready for that one that was too fun well if there's anybody I know who is qualified to start to take fashion back it's John Levitt John thanks again for coming on the show where can people find you online and your writing and all of this stuff well I'm uh, obnoxiously on Twitter because I'm trying to avoid finishing my novel so... you were delightfully on Twitter I think we made the same joke the last time you were on actually <laughs> uh, it's at uh, Levitt at Levitt Alone, L-E-A-V-I-T-T Alone, and LevittAlone.com is my portfolio site, where most and, of the things I write end up. And we will link your, your excellent article uh, in the show description here. Um, thanks again to uh, Nick Glessman for being with us. I know you're getting over the same cold that I had last week. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a, had a good time tonight. You're on Twitter as well, I think. Yeah, at Squirrel Fodder. That's good. He, he retweets good stuff. That's basically what I use it for now. I'm on Twitter at Brendan Williams with one L. The show is at liquid underscore flannel. Show like a scribe. Do all that stuff. 
do the stuff. Click the click the buttons. Uh, I'm Matthew Hodges. I'm on Twitter at Matt the Great with a W. And yeah, thanks again, John. Thanks for having me. We'll, we'll see you all next week. We'll see you next week as we further document the decline of the American civilization. <laughs>